You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. This is the Thunder Quack Podcast. The official podcast of Thunder Quack Podcast Network where anything can happen. So strap yourselves in and hold on to your butts. It's Thunderquack time! Hello and welcome back to the Thunderquack podcast, the official podcast of Thunderquack.com. Uh, it's early on Patreon. It's late everywhere else. Uh, Patreon po- producers, Brian Murewski, JJ Samuel. We only have a few more of these that I have to like do this rigmarole before we switch over to the new show. So I really don't care to do it. I am one of your hosts, Michael Cohen. And uh, Amanda's not here this week. And I told you guys that I would get a guest. Oh. A good guest. Oh, but unfortunately, the short. only person the <laughs> only person I could find was Joe. So thank you, oh. Joe Hogan. The illustrious I mean, Joe you know. Hogan. I had nothing better to do, so I uh, hey, it's our it's our eighty fifth episode. Oh, and so I, so I figured birthday. I figured that I would that we we would we would only talk about cool things that happened in nineteen eighty five for this episode. Absolutely, uh, I, <laughs> that would actually be a pretty good episode because there's a lot of really cool that stuff would be that pretty gnarly. Yeah, uh, but the coolest thing is that that's the year that I was born. Ah, so that you're, right. Are we the same age, Joe? Or are you? Are you? We are, are not. You, are I'm. You? I'm 86. I'm 86. Okay, yeah. uh, that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate. So we will. Right. We will both be 36 for like what three weeks? Uh, I. I. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. And and then I will go. I will go first into the great beyond that is 37. You will. You will ascend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really weird. There is something about the age 37, which I am approaching in, in one month's time, uh, that it's like, like when you hit your 30s, you're like, oh, I'm in my 30s. And then and then you hit 35 and you're like, oh, mid 30s. And then 36 comes around and you're like, I still feel pretty good about this. There's something about the number 37 that I'm like, 37. That's awfully close to 40, you guys. That's getting a little, that's a little too close. It's a little too close to 40 for my oh. comfort. Um, but also I don't, I don't think that it makes a difference, but I, I, but at the same time, it's like just that number. I don't know. There's just something about that number. It's just a number. It is just a number. It is just a number. It's the, it's the, the random back pain and uh, other uh, uh, issues with my body. Not doing the things or, or, or being what I want it to be. That's that's the real problem. <laughs> the, yeah. the number doesn't have yeah. anything to do with it. I I no, we're not going to talk about 1985 stuff as much as that would be a good episode. Um, uh, we are going to talk about Sonic the Hedgehog. No, because Joe didn't see Sonic the Hedgehog too. Sure like didn't. I told him that he had to. Well, I, no. I mean, I in, I in fairness, you told me you probably wouldn't. But <laughs> I still, it's, it's been a, a really intense two weeks. Uh, yeah, I've just yeah. had. Let me tell you, I am a very introverted person in general. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's easy for me to talk from my room because no one is here watching me. Um, yeah. So, like, podcasts and stuff don't freak me out. But like, I love my solitude. 
I like seeing yeah. people every once in a while and then going back to my hole and shutting the blinds and being a creature of the night. But like, man, I kind of really miss the the year and a half of just social distancing and like, <laughs> oh, we'll do everything on Zoom. No problem. Like, <laughs> do you ever, boy, do is you... it coming back in force now that that's over? Do you ever look at Carl's Instagram and just be mm. like, what are you doing, man? Why are you <laughs> hanging out with these people again? Like, don't you like what is wrong saw with them. you? Just all the time, all the time. He's like, hey, I went out with these really cool people that I like a lot. And I'm like, to what end? I don't I don't understand. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I sp- sp- speaking of being shut ins, I the topic for this episode, uh, we're going to talk about Final Fantasy. We're yeah. going to be real, real, real big nerds. And talking about like, our, what? <laughs> Why? Talk about our favorite Final Fantasy games. Final Fantasy. I uh, yeah. Uh, this came from I uh, I I don't even how do, how did we even really get onto the topic? Who knows? Who whoever knows? You what any you were talking about Sonic, and yeah. you were like, all right, we'll come up with an idea if you can't do Sonic. And I was like, I am on a huge JRPG binge lately. Yes. Do you want to talk about JRPGs? And we settled on Final Fantasy. Um, and I think I think that I said something about Final Fantasy VIII, and you said something about Final Fantasy suck, and and I was like, oh, what are you talking about? Um, no, they, they, it is such a funny thing, and I think this is the best way to get into it. Is I I I heard when I was a young man that I, everybody's favorite Final Fantasy is the first one they played, and. Mm-hmm. And I find that that tends to be very true. And like, I'll qualify that a little bit. It's the first one that you like seriously played because some of us is like, like, like if you played like the demo for FF seven, that was like on a demo disc back in the day, then it might not have, it might not have hooked you, but then it, you know, you might've played FF eight as your first one and then really been, really been into it. Um, for me that that is absolutely the case like that's literally the story is like i i think like i had seen the demo or like like maybe had a little bit of hands-on with the demo for final fantasy 7 it was a little bit i wasn't quite at the right age yet it was like what's going on there's all this talking and like turn-based what i don't no thanks um and i i can remember around the same time somebody had had shown me i super mario rpg and they were going off about how it's the one of the greatest video games of all time and i was like i don't understand it seems like just a lot of waiting around for things to happen um (laughs) and then i played final fantasy 8 primarily because uh it's got a it's got a pretty boy band uh pop singer as the lead character who's got a gnarly scar on his face and a sword with a gun in it um and and that opening uh uh what we called back in the day full motion animation fma or fmvs i i the full motion video i the the opening cinematic of final fantasy 8 is like burned into my memory with the music (laughs) and everything it like and so um I started playing that. I borrowed a friend's PlayStation, started playing it, and was like, oh my god, video games can be something other than Sonic the Hedgehog running from left to right, or Mario, you know, ducking and going into a pipe, or Banjo-Kazooie, or, you know, like like the stuff that I had been playing prior to that. Um, it was like all of a sudden, 
like this whole world opened up to me of like, oh, you can like tell a real story. So then like I, I played FF8 and then soon after that started playing Final Fantasy 3, which is actually 6. Um, and never really went back to 7 until much, much later. Uh, but yeah, so FF8 is like 110% my Final Fantasy I uh, it is it is the one by which I measure all of the others and it's like uh, like I will say Final Fantasy 6 is the best Final Fantasy and that's the end of the conversation um but but best and favorite are different <laughs> things um because sure. I do think that everything since 6 has just been trying at in varying degrees to achieve what Final Fantasy 6 achieved um uh, with its ridiculously amazing pixel art and uh, that, that doesn't resemble the concept art or any of like what <laughs> what the team was actually going for at all. Who, but, who uh, is who is the uh, the designer of all that like early? It's Amano who uh, always does like the early yeah, concept art and yeah. like the logo and all that stuff for each game. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah, yeah, that stuff um, never ever ends up looking very close to no i mean like how could it the actual game you can't i actually posted something on twitter the other day before elon musk bought it and now i don't want to be on twitter ever again i mm. i i posted something the other day because there's a statue from final fantasy 6 um of Terra, the the lead character mm. in the battle mech the the magitech armor uh and and it's like it's this it's this beautiful statue and I posted this thing about like, I love living in the space between the original concept art, uh, the, the, the pixel art from the actual video game. And then mm. like modern interpretation of what that game would have looked like if it were made now. Oh, right. Cool. And it's like, because all three of those things are very different mm-hmm. because that concept art from, from, like like all of the concept art from like ff three four five six it's like it's it's all like it's very um i don't know like there's there's this fantasy element to it and there's so much stylization and and so many like patterns and colors and and ff6 especially is just like the character designs are so complex and then what you see in the game are these like really simple, bold, beautifully drawn sprites uh, in in sixteen bit color, and it's just like like these two things are so far afield from one another. And then anything that happens modern is like really building on the more of like the Aonuma stuff, which it was like Final Fantasy seven, eight, nine, Kingdom Hearts, that stuff, right? Um, so like you see that and you're like these like they, like it's there's this weird world of like these these three sort of ideas coming together and like none of them are wrong mm-hmm. but none of them are right either right like it's just it's it, so Final Fantasy 6 lives in this weird space where it's like it's this incredibly epic ridiculous operatic story um <laughs> you know like like just the most epic of scales and yet, like, it is presented in this, in such a basic format. And and there are so many things about it that are ridiculous, like suplexing a ghost train. Uh, <laughs> and yet, like, like, it is, like, it's a, it's an absolute masterpiece. Like, 
FF FF six is is one of the greatest video games of all time. Um but but you know like 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 I said, whichever one you played first tends to be the one that you identify the most with. For me that was mm-hmm. eight. So the angsty brooding uh, uh hero sort of thing it's like it it's really funny because i think that squall as a character ended up informing a lot of other stuff that i ended up liking as i got older because mm-hmm. i liked that character in that story so much that it's like then anytime that you, you give me like a broody sexy uh antagonist in a in a black jacket i'm like okay i can dig this right i i <laughs> because like very soon after that I, I i got into buffy uh and angel and was like man this guy's so cool and then when i found out that david boreanaz voiced leon who is squall uh, oh, in the boy. kingdom hearts game it's like these two worlds converge and i'm like oh my god uh and now when i go back and play it he does such a bad job he's awful yeah. it's yeah. so bad and like Kingdom Hearts, that era of of games has a lot of really bad voice acting. Kingdom Hearts has some really good stuff in it, like the first game. It's also got some really bad stuff in it. But David Boreanaz as Leon is like, take the cake for like, I don't know what I'm saying. I don't have any context for any of this. And I'm not going to ask any questions. I am here to say some words because I'm contractually obligated for some reason. I'm going to say my lines and then I'm going to get out and I'm done. And, and it's just like, it's so funny because at the, the first time that I played that game, I was like, Oh my God, this is so good. And uh, <laughs> this tells you how long ago this was. Cause this was back in the early days of the internet. Uh, I was on an MSN message board role-playing group for kingdom hearts and and i simultaneously played within the kingdom hearts universe leon as well as laguna loire who is i mean spoilers for final fantasy 8 laguna is actually squall's dad uh but but you don't know that at the beginning of the game and as you play you find out oh my god that's actually anyways i i so yeah i played i played both of those characters in this rp group i i <laughs> that I, I man the internet was a weird place back then uh it's <laughs> in a different way than it is now it was so it was so weirdly like innocent and like i don't know maybe it's just because i was younger but Maybe the kids these days are are on uh, I don't know Discord or something like that uh, with RP groups uh, pretending that they're. Uh, I know for, I know characters. for a fact they are. Uh, yeah, I, okay, I know good. someone whose brother is, and I'm not gonna throw them under the bus, but yeah, the 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 same kind of stuff lives on. No, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that 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 <laughs> that that's not. So the the other one that the other one that I was a part of was a was an X Men one. Uh, oh, uh, okay. And uh, yeah. Yeah, it it, it 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 was so funny because it was like it was this X Men group. Everybody loves X Men, and everybody's role playing as X Men characters. But fights never happened. It, there were no missions. It was just like <laughs> oh, all right. It was just like everybody like hanging out at the mansion, and like all of the like relationship drama, and like just like <laughs> oh, okay. like 
like who's friends with who and like and everybody just like yeah it's so funny so funny to think back on that stuff because it's it's like such a it's such a like snapshot of a moment in time because this is all (laughs) you know when i stopped doing that stuff right after i met crystal (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, there <laughs> it's you go. like, and it's like all of a sudden, I didn't need to live out these fantasies. I, I, on RP boards on MSN. <laughs> I, I, it's like, oh no, I have better things to do with my time now. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, man, like I was, I was obsessed with, with uh, that character. But here's the kicker: I've never finished a single Final Fantasy game. What? like kingdom hearts withstanding which because they're which kind of count but don't really um so i finished the 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 three mainline kingdom hearts games i i never actually finished playing final fantasy 8 i made it to the final disc um and i this is so here's the thing about final fantasy games you hit the final disc or the end end game sort of area and you cannot just finish the game right because there's a point in in since six in all of them basically where all of a sudden it opens up and it's like oh no now it's an open world and you got to go grind and there's a bunch of missions and you got to find them or you just walk around in circles and fight things right and like (laughs) ff6 back in the day we did not have the internet you had to know somebody who knew where all the dragons were in order to go find all the dragons or get your hands on a strategy guide which was very difficult um because i I, like the internet was like in its infancy and like finding that stuff online was like you found it one day and if you didn't save all of that to a text file or uh print it out immediately you may never find that site again (laughs) like (laughs) because there was no we're talking about like dogpile wasn't even a thing yet when i was playing Mm. i i i final fantasy 6 when i was playing ff3 on the super nintendo it was like the only reason I knew how to, how to do anything in that game was because I had friends who had like played the crap out of it and knew all this stuff. Um, but yeah, the, like like the same thing happens in FF8. You hit the final disc, and all of a sudden you've got a spaceship that's shaped like a dragon that you can fly anywhere on the planet, and there are there are a bunch of story threads to go follow, and I I it just becomes like overwhelming <laughs> and I'm just like, Nope, I'm done. Uh, and then, and then later on I would like watch the, basically what the end of the game was like to finish the story off and know the end of the mm-hmm. story. Um, so yeah, like with both, with both six, actually I'll be honest. I couldn't tell you how six ends. I couldn't. Wow, dude. I, I, but, uh, but eight, I can cause, cause I know that that game backwards and forwards, but, um, yeah man so yeah but seven never clicked with me it just never clicked with me and i think it was just the it was just the art style of the sprites back then i and i tried recently with remastered to get into it but that gameplay in remastered is just so monotonous for me because i can't i can't make it i'm too old to like figure out the like the the next tier of like what you're actually doing in that game Mm -hmm. so for me it's like i'm just gonna keep i'm just gonna keep attacking this guy i guess and then maybe i'll just use like fire every once in a while i I don't (laughs) i don't know what i'm doing um so like i played maybe like five hours of that and then and then okay i was like no this is not for me um sorry if it doesn't have disney characters in it i'm not gonna that's that's okay 
because they're I feel like, you know, you, you touched on it a little bit like the old each one since six, like really try something totally different to like. Yeah, I, I do think a lot of it is to capture that magic from six. But I also think like the teams are always so different because there's never, you know, the people working on Final Fantasy seven are not the same people working on Final Fantasy eight. Right. There's always separate teams working on stuff yeah. simultaneously. Um, but you know, you can kind of see their styles and, and what it is they, uh, you know, what they think worked in the last game and what they think didn't work because you kind of see it two games later or what they try differently and all that stuff. Um, but like, I don't know, man. I, I, I think it's just one of those things where I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with them constantly trying to like change up that gameplay and change up that, that, yeah. uh, you know what makes a final fantasy a final fantasy otherwise it's just like pokemon right it's the opposite problem of pokemon yeah yeah no for Where sure every pokemon game is the same well with the exception of arceus that we gushed about quite a bit yeah, yeah. um damn it i i don't know so okay so so you are eighth for yeah. a myriad of reasons yeah okay i am 10 okay and I th- I think I agree with you. It was funny because going into this, I wasn't sure if I was going to go with six or with ten because it it kind of changes uh, depending on how I'm feeling. Six is the most recent one that I've played though because I had I never had a SNES. My first Final Fantasy was seven, and at the time, uh, I didn't think like, oh, this is like the greatest thing ever. Um, I played. I think the order was seven, nine, eight, ten, ten to uh fell off for a while uh did a little bit of 13 lost interest in that um 15 and then six so those are the only ones i played i haven't played any of like the ones before six which i have them i i I picked up those uh like the pixel remaster ones on steam yeah um so i'm looking forward to sitting down with those but um and i never did the online ones i don't know if you ever did what 11 or 14 or anything no but they're like not, I mean, not to sound like a jerk after being like, oh, Final Fantasy, what makes a Final Fantasy game? I, I don't think those games qualify as Final Fantasy. Those are just kind of standard MMOs with the Final Fantasy, like, yeah, coat of paint. Yeah, um, yeah I'm, I am, I'm 10. I, I really think 10 is my favorite because I, I agree. Six is the best one. Okay, uh, close up. Let's go home. There's nothing else to, to say about which one is the best one. But uh yeah, I think it's 10, 10 was the first one that I kept thinking about like a long time after I played it because like seven, I had that like emotional response to when Aerith died. Uh, nine, I had emo- an emotional response. I was so relieved with how that game ended. I was worried that, you know, it's just a thing, right? Like in the last the final act of the story, the main character might die. And then you find out, Oh, whew, they're okay. And that happens in all three of those PS one final fantasies. Yeah. Um, but then 10, you don't know what the hell is going on. Like <laughs> he, he just ten, disappears. Yeah. yeah. And ten, then 10, you like start the game and you're like, <laughs> like, like a little ways in you're like, wait, is, is, is Titus already dead? Yeah. <laughs> like at a certain point in the game, you're like, 
I think I don't know. And then and then it happens and you're like, did he die again? Is it? So his dad is the big whale thing, but also this other guy. I'm confused. <laughs> yeah, there there is definitely no shortage of mystery and yeah. even longer lasting questions. Like, how does that work? Yeah. Uh, long after playing, but like, but Blitzball I, I, is so cool. So, oh, like, Blitzball is yeah. awesome. I don't care what anyone says. Blitzball is amazing. I never win. I never. I like. I'm still no. not good at it, but I still love playing. That's no. awesome. Because 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 playing Blitzball is not cool. It's not fun. It's not like it's like hey hey hey. What if a bunch of nerds who are really good at turn based combat decided to make a sports game? <laughs> uh, you'd get Blitzball. That's why, and it's not very good. Awesome. Um, and you're and you are using a PlayStation Two controller, which is basically a PlayStation One controller with two analog sticks. I. Uh, <laughs> But uh, so like and and we haven't figured out camera controls. We haven't figured out how to actually use Mm -hmm. an analog stick. And even if we could, the processor on this thing can't really handle that anyways. So, yeah, like you end up you end up with a with a with a real mess of a of a mini game within the game. But the concept of Blitzball, when you see it in the FMVs, is like, oh, that's awesome. It's so cool that George Lucas ripped it off in Revenge of the Sith, right? Like <laughs> he thinks he came totally. up with that. And it's like, no, he totally was just like walking by the room. One of his kids was playing some FF10 <laughs> and uh, and he heard he heard that voice and was like, that voice sounds so familiar. <laughs> it's, he, 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 I, I, for some reason, I have a deep connection to this man. Uh, and uh, and saw a big uh, sphere of water and was like, yes, this will be in my next movie. Um, <laughs> but, sorry, I interrupted your whole train. No, 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 you're fine. You just reminded me of something that is going to yeah. blow your mind. Hold on, okay. let me find it one more time. Uh, did you know that Blitzball was inspired by pod races? <laughs> That's fantastic. The 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 like a Roboros that we've just created now. Of, like, <laughs> uh, as, here, let me, as far let, as let, I'm concerned, that's exactly what happened. That's how that's how Mon Calamari Ballet ended up in <laughs> Revenge of the Sith. I'm okay that, with like, it. Jet Lucas was playing Final Fantasy X, and uh, and George was like, "Oh, that's pretty cool. I'll uh, I, I think I can put that in my next movie." I uh, I uh, yeah. This is a quote from Yoshinori Kitase. Uh, He says, I wanted to include a fictional sport in our fantasy world like Lucasfilms did with the pod races in Star Wars Episode One. At the time of development, we were in the middle of the the fervor about the 2002 Japan slash Korea World Cup. So I based the mechanics of the game itself around football. That is awesome. Because pod races were a, a sport inside Star Wars. Yeah. Katase is like, yeah, yeah, I think, we're gonna do that. It's funny because because I think that, that I think there are two Final Fantasy games that really really draw from Star Wars as an inspiration. Ten is one of them. Like there's a there's a lot of like weird sort of like like mythic stuff that feels very connected to Star Wars in that one. And then twelve, twelve is like twelve is very literally like, hey, what if we made a Final Fantasy Star War? And it's mm. like, and and like you look at the lineup of characters, and it's like, oh, you've got a princess on the run from an empire, 
uh you've got a farm boy type kid who's who like befriends everybody like who's your lead character you've got uh you know like ne'er-do-well dashing captain of a of a ship and his very tall animal sidekick <laughs> like like you oh, I, well we love fran well we love chewy too so. yeah i i yeah i mean like like i i oh man what's his name it bast or something i can't remember the character's names but the guy who's like the 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 knight that like basically is like training the the lead character and it's like oh so this guy's obi-wan kenobi like the the bad guys are there's a there's there's like 10 of or i can't remember of these bad guys that are all like in black helmeted Mm. armor and it's like they're all darth vader's there's like it's like hey what if we had a bunch of darth vader's though uh that you're gonna have to fight all of these darth vader's uh, yeah, like 12, 12 is very like unabashedly like what if Final Fantasy was Star Wars? Dude, um, so is 10, though. I mean, even the first 15 yeah. minutes of that game is the Obi-Wan giving Luke his lightsaber. Yeah, it's or or here. This sword was your dad's. Come with me. Call to action. By the way, you don't know this yet. You'll figure it out later. But your dad is the ultimate bad guy ruining everything. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I'm going to become a ghost someday. <laughs> but also, and I'll still help you. Don't worry, I'll still help you. I'll yeah. still teach you some stuff. It's cr- dude. Yeah. Final Fantasy X is so yeah. Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. The, those two, like more than any of the other ones, because because there's a lot of Star Wars influence in all of the ones that that um I I like uh, I Yoshinori Kitase and and uh, and Aonuma. Uh, uh, is Aonuma? It's uh, am I saying the right person? Like, who's the who's the the Kingdom Hearts guy? Uh, Nomura. Aonuma is Zelda. Right. Aonuma is Zelda. I, I, yeah, I like. There's, there's so much. It like the fact that not to not to to jump too far ahead into modern stuff, but the fact that Star Wars is probably going to be in Kingdom Hearts four is like. Yeah, Nomura is like finally, finally <laughs> salivating to the point to the point where he's like he's like, hey, the only way we can do this is if we completely abandon everything aesthetically that makes Kingdom Hearts Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> and it's like so like that trailer for the new one. It's like it's like, hey, um, yeah. So we're leaving behind the cartoon stuff. We're going we're going into full realism so that we can have star Wars and Marvel in this next one. That's like, it's mm. like, that's like the thesis of it. I think is, is, uh, it, it, yeah, I don't know. I, are, how, how, how into kingdom hearts are you? I was, I mean, we sound like we were pretty much exactly the same when kingdom hearts came out. I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. And now I'm just like, Oh boy, this, uh, does not hold up for me. It's, it's really um, hard to follow (laughs) dude i mean that's the big problem like this is everyone's complaint right that every single game is canon and every single one has story that just takes the rest of the story and it even crazier like there there's no oh i i played one and two i don't really know the story that went on in between i'm just gonna sit down and listen to like a 10 minute youtube video explaining the lore because like I, I man i don't know if you've ever tried doing that for this series like i really wanted to i just wanted to do that just fill me up Fill me in on everything. I'll I'll play Kingdom Hearts three. Man, 
I could not get 60 seconds without being like, I don't, I have no idea what this yeah. person is saying. Uh, this I, doesn't even feel like English anymore. I want to give, I want to get, I want to go back to, to FF10 because I, because, because we kind of have gotten a little far afield. But before, <laughs> okay. but before okay. I do, before, before I bring you back to FF10, I just want to take a little detour so that people who don't know Kingdom Hearts as a franchise can understand what we're talking about with this um, <laughs> and how ridiculous it is. So on the surface, Kingdom Hearts is really, really simple. You're a Final Fantasy style JRPG character, Sora, who uh, has to basically travel between worlds with his compatriots, Donald and Goofy. Yes, that Donald and that Goofy. Mm-hmm. Uh, although not that Donald and Goofy, a Donald and Goofy from a version of a world where Mickey is the king and they are his uh, royal magician and royal guard. I, I, Mickey has gone missing. Donald and Goofy are trying to find him. Sora's friends, Riku and Kairi, have gone missing. He's trying to find them. Um, and so the three of them team up and travel from world to world in search of their friends. The worlds that they're traveling between are Disney movies, the worlds of different Disney properties and interspersed with this are versions of final fantasy characters, not the exact (laughs) ones, not, not squall multiverse. Yeah. Multiverse. Like, so but but here's the thing is that all of the Final Fantasy characters come from the same place, which is a world called Hollow Bastion that used to be a different world. Now you're starting to understand how ridiculous this series is. Okay. That, <laughs> that's like, how it all, starts. That's, that's the a, beginning. That's this the is premise the easy, of the first one. Yeah, this is the easy stuff to follow. Okay. <laughs> Maleficent is is working with someone we don't really know who in the first game we don't really learn until later on i uh, to like there's this guy ansom who's like is he with maleficent or is he against maleficent it's not really clear in the first game i i and they they are they're using the power of these beings called the heartless to steal the hearts of the seven is it seven? Yeah, seven princesses of heart in order to unlock the door to Kingdom Hearts because on the other side of that door is something. Mm-hmm. The first game doesn't even like tell you what Kingdom Hearts is. It's very much like no one can tell you what Kingdom Hearts is. You have to, right? Like <laughs> You have to see it. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. It's total nonsense it in gobbledygook. It really doesn't. It really, uh, it really, really doesn't. You go through the whole first game. You meet a bunch of Disney characters, and then you know, like it turns out that your friend is one of the princesses of heart. They unlock the the door to Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> the only way to close it is for your friend Riku, who is one of the people that you're looking for, who has turned to the dark side to come back to the light side and go on the other side of the door with Mickey Mouse, who it turns out is a Keyblade Master, just like Sora. <laughs> In order to close Kingdom Hearts from the other side, because it can only be closed from inside, like on the other side of the door. So they got to do that. So the first game ends. And then for some reason, Sora falls into some water. I don't know. It doesn't. It does. It, <laughs> the end of the game makes no sense. Oh, just the end? No. And so let me, let me, let me, let me. So before we can get to Kingdom Hearts 2, there are two things that you need to know. First. Towards the end of Kingdom Hearts, Sora 
gets his heart stolen by the heartless by by uh, either Riku or Ansem. I can't remember, but somebody takes his heart and he becomes a heartless. And we discover that, like, oh, when your heart is taken, you become a heartless. This is going to be important in a minute. So pay attention. OK, and then you like go around and then you come back and then you go and you save your friends and whatever. Right. And then the end of the game. At the end of the game, for some reason, I can't remember exactly why, but Kingdom Hearts, the door closes and then Sora is like falling through space or whatever. And he falls into some water or something. I don't know. And he's and he's lost. Nobody knows where Sora is. Nobody knows what's happened to Sora. This isn't the first time. Uh, this isn't the last time this will happen to Sora. I, uh, But in any case, <laughs> he's gone. Nobody knows where he is. We pick up the story of Kingdom Hearts before Kingdom Hearts 2, before the next game. We pick up the story of Kingdom Hearts in the Game Boy Advance game, Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories, which is not a new game, but a retelling of Kingdom Hearts. And instead of it being a third person (laughs) RPG action game, it's a card battle action platformer isometric platformer okay completely different genre like like two just like still kind of an rpg but also not really because it's a card battle game it's very hard to play it it's not very much fun in my opinion and also there's nothing new about it you literally play through all of the levels and worlds that you played through in kingdom hearts it's the same story what we discover is that it's actually Sora reliving the events of Kingdom Hearts in order to recompile his personality because an alternate version of his friend Kyrie, when her heart was taken, becomes this character Namine. And we're going to find out in Kingdom Hearts 2. I'm not even going to go past Kingdom Hearts 2 because this is so ridiculous, all of this, but I just want people to understand how ridiculous Kingdom Hearts is. Because in Kingdom Hearts 2, we're going to start the game we know that Sora is the protagonist of Kingdom Hearts 2 because he's on the box art, right? And he's got a cool new outfit. He looks a little bit more grown up. It's like, oh, man, he's, he's such an edgelord now. So rad. Um, it, like, he's he's so much cooler because his outfit is mostly black now, right? Uh, and, and also, like, there's versions that I saw this thing of, like, then he gets two Keyblades and he can fly. It's really, really neat. Uh, but before you can get to any of that fun stuff or any of the new Disney worlds or anything that you actually wanted to do, you're going to have to play through about three to five hours, depending on your skill level and your ability to decipher absolute nonsense of a character named Roxas. Now, Roxas, what does that mean? <laughs> Sora in in Japanese means sky there's like a whole thing of like Sora, Riku, Kairi, like the, there's, there's meanings to these names. There's a reason why his name is sky. Like it's all, it's a whole thing, right? Roxas doesn't mean anything. It's not English. It's not Japanese. It's total nonsense until you realize that the name Roxas is Sora jumbled up with an X in the middle of it. This is important because throughout the course of this next video game, you're going to meet a bunch of characters with X's in their names. Axel, blah, 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 whatever. They all have X's in their names. Why? Because they're a part of an organization called Organization 13. Now, the 13 is not 1-3. The 13 is X-I-I-I. Why? I don't know. Because it sounds (laughs) cool, I guess. Uh, And everybody in Organization 13 wears a leather jacket like a leather trench coat with a bunch of zippers on it, because I guess they all saw the matrix 
reloaded or uh the matrix which one's the second one reloaded right? uh yeah reloaded yeah uh they also the matrix re- reloaded and and couldn't decide on who gets to cosplay as neo so they all decided to cosplay as neo at the same time um and, but they added a hood to it so it's a different thing you guys it's not it's totally not just a rip off of that uh because that's totally not the time period that we're in uh, so it turns out that when when Sora's heart was taken and he became a heartless, that in a mirror world, because we're dealing with a multiverse, because that's the premise of Kingdom Hearts, in a mirror world to the world that Sora is from, a, a person was created named Roxas, because this is what happens every time somebody's heart is taken. So there's this whole world that's populated with people because obviously the bad guys in the first one were stealing everybody's hearts. It's crazy because that's because you the minions that you fight are the heartless. So in order for there to be that many bad guys, a bunch of people have to basically die. But then they're reborn in this other world as these other people. Uh, and so you're going to have to you're going to have to play through a bunch of the game as this character Roxas only to realize that you don't actually exist because Sora needs to exist so i guess you stop existing but then later on don't worry roxas will come back but then there's also this other guy later on in the series that looks exactly like sora and roxas because all three of these characters look the same they just have different hair colors uh and different outfits but they are but like their faces and hairstyles are pretty much exactly the same but he's not a mirror of either of these characters he's like their spiritual predecessor from a time period beforehand but because nothing makes sense in Kingdom Hearts, don't worry, they'll fight alongside each other in the third game. The third game, however, first game comes out. We got a few years, right? We, we, we put out a, a Game Boy Advance game that retells the first game because we got to wait for uh, Kingdom Hearts 2. Kingdom Hearts 2 finally comes out. We're like, okay, cool. We can keep going with this story. The whole story of Kingdom Hearts 2 progresses. Goofy dies. Goofy dies in Kingdom Hearts 2. Yeah, that was And Mickey is like, I'm going to burn it all to the ground. Like it is, (laughs) I I promise you, if you search this on YouTube, Kingdom Hearts Goofy Death, please search it. Because like Donald and Mickey are like ready to just light it all on fire. Like Mickey's like, Mickey's like, look, we've been having fun up until this point, guys. This is an adventure. Now? Now I'm going to murder everyone. Like Mickey goes like Anakin Skywalker level of like, I'm done. I, I, and then we get to see how powerful he really is <laughs> in this ridiculous world. Anyways, everything happens in that one. You find out that there's some digital copy of something or other. Cause Tron is in it. And that becomes a whole thing of like digital copies and everything's digital, digital, digital. I, You'd think that, like, okay, you know, there was a few years between Kingdom Hearts, Kingdom Hearts 2. There will be only be a couple of years until Kingdom Hearts 3 because we're left on a real crazy cliffhanger. No, there's going to be like a decade until Kingdom Hearts 3 comes out. And in between, we are going to release three different stories in which Sora and Riku go into different versions of other things they've already done and relive their past and their future and also whatever. And then also this other one. And then like this one game's going to come out. Oh, we're going to call one dream drop distance, which doesn't make any sense. Do any of the names make sense? Because, because it's not about the name. It's about, it's about getting a name that has three D's in it. Why does it have to na- have three D's in it? 
because it's on the 3DS, you guys, and it's a 3D video game. So it's Dream Drop Distance 3D, Kingdom Hearts 3D, you guys, Kingdom Hearts 3D. Figure it out. This is the sort of stuff that you have to deal with in this franchise. And then finally, Kingdom Hearts 3 comes out. And if you don't understand any of what I just said, like that is like literally the tip of the iceberg. And like, like the characters names are ridiculous. And, and like, it's just like, Hey, uh, Ansem has an alternate organization, 13 character named Zemnis because Ansem already is a difficult name to deal with. Cause it's not really a name, but like, okay, we can kind of deal with Ansem, but then we got to jumble it up and add an X into it. So we end up with Zemnis. But is that like a throwaway thing? No, Zemnis is a major character. So get that into your head and remember it. That Zemnis and Ansem are are opposites, but like the Ansem that we dealt with in the first game isn't the real Ansem. Actually, Christopher Lee, Count Dooku, is the real Ansem, who's this guy with all these bandages on his face, but he's going to die. And he's actually a good guy, not a bad guy. But is he a good guy? Because it's kind of like he's, some of the stuff that he wanted to do wasn't so great but he was making this digital copy of everything and that's Tron and Tron was supposed to save everything. And that was my first introduction to the character Tron. And then I eventually saw the movie Tron and I was like, what? This has nothing to do with kingdom hearts. And yeah, that's yeah. But uh, that was like one billionth of the actual story too. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much more to it. There's so much more to it. But like whatever happens between now and Kingdom Hearts 4, I have to find out because I have to play Kingdom Hearts 4. Because if there's a if there's a chance, if there's a a single shred of a chance that Sora, Donald and Goofy are going to interact with Tony Stark from the MCU, I'm not missing that. I cannot miss that. I have to I have to understand how we're going to reconcile the characters of the MCU. Although, you know what? It would be fantastic if those characters show up in the MCU like like in in that whatever whatever they end up calling it, the Midtown Madness Mayhem is the is the level for I uh, I uh, uh, the MCU and it'll be the battle of New York. Right. And it's the, it's the forming of the Avengers and Donald and goofy are with Sora and Sora looks all cool. Cause he's Sora and he's realistic, but then like Donald just looks like Howard the duck. <laughs> like what if they, like, what if they literally like, like they just made them look like guardians, of the galaxy characters basically. And yeah. It's just, like, Oh, okay. All right. That'd be pretty fun. They're just like aliens, right? Like they don't look like their cartoon versions. They look like realistic versions of themselves. Like from Guardians, like I would be down. That would be super rad. That would be yeah, that would be, be so cool. I, I will probably be disappointed, and they won't do that. They'll just they'll just look like really really nice renders of those characters. But uh, yeah, and like yeah, <laughs> look, we have been asking since I'm pretty sure the first Kingdom Hearts for a Keyblade lightsaber, right? Like. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's finally actually going to happen, especially since the Disney merger and everybody's like Kingdom Hearts three. It's going to happen. Star Wars is going to be in this game. Here's all the reasons why. And it wasn't. Um, But yeah, 
So Final Fantasy X is your favorite. Tell us why. <clears throat> Great, man. Man, you exhausted me after that. <laughs> Think how I feel. I need to take a break. Oh, That's why man. I need you to talk about FF10. That was that was that was a trip. Uh, Final Fantasy X can be confusing. Doesn't do any of that. Although, um, also very highly influenced by Tetsuya Nomura, uh, who is, I guess, the lead on those Kingdom Hearts games, right? Like, yeah. Aren't like Kingdom Hearts is his baby, right? Like, yeah, no, Nomura came in, I think, as like a, like a, I, con- one of the concept artists, I think, on seven, um, uh, either seven or eight. Like, I know that, like, like, I'm fairly certain that he designed Squall, um, because like Squall is totally like in his, like, that's like, oh, yeah, Squall Leon Hart. The, the the lead character of Final Fantasy VIII was like the the early warning system for everything that Nomura was going to bring <laughs> to bear on on video gaming over the course of the next like twenty years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I yeah, because every everything that he has done s- since Squall is just, they're just like varying degrees of squallness. <laughs> so here's so here's 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 the thing with Squall that was one of his defining characteristics. He's got his awesome leather jacket with the furry collar, uh, uh, and it's sort of like shortcut, right? Like um, on the body, but but puffy sleeves. Very very cool look. A uh, uh, clean white t shirt and a rad necklace. Um, but one of the real defining characteristics of Squall that makes everybody go, huh, is that he wears three belts. Oh yeah, belts. Uh, he's, so he's got one belt that's actually holding his pants up, and then he's got two belts crisscrossed across the that those belt that belt, and then I think he also has like three belts banded on his leg at some point. I don't know if that's in the original character. Design that might be Kingdom Hearts. Let's see. Yeah, um, mm, he was Leon then for some reason. Yeah, uh, it also it might be Dissidia, yeah. right? Like like there there's there's so many different versions of the character now, um, but uh, yeah, like like that black leather jacket zippers and belts would become like uh oh and also like hey can we is there some way that we can work a scar into the design of this character uh <laughs> preferably preferably on or about the face or neck i uh, i if if we can do that then um then we'll know that this character is truly awesome uh, okay <laughs> this is what it was uh kingdom hearts squall has three belts on his forearm Yes. Yeah. No, nothing, no, nothing there. Just on his bare forearm. Yeah. Three belts. Yep. Uh, I mean, the, you keep Le- your arm Leon, on, I guess. Leon in the first Kingdom Hearts, I uh, also ditches the furry leather jacket for like a kind, a bit of like a, like a short sleeve, uh, almost like a, like think back to the early two thousands, like sort of like an emo pop punk rockabilly uh, button down. Um, and then on the back of it, it's got, it's got um, the, the, the wings that are on Renoa's, uh, uh, her, her, her uh, uh, full length cardigan, sleeveless cardigan mm-hmm. sweater um, uh, as a tribute to her, because she died when the heartless took over hollow bastion. 
and he's he's oh there. is is that is that how that I don't remember that that's the backstory oh. that so that's why it, because because uh, her and and all of his other friends died uh, I, wow. when when Ansem uh, destroyed Hollow Bastion which I can't remember what it was before I can't remember what it was called before but when they all died he changed that's why he changed his name that's why he's not Squall. because he because like he couldn't um he couldn't he couldn't he had to leave his past behind because he Mm, let everybody down and that's why the wings are are red instead of white is because like it's like uh because they're dead so emo okay (laughs) okay man if somebody just like sent nomura to a therapist when he was a kid (laughs) none of this would have have ever gotten anything none of it would have ever existed um anyways Final Fantasy Ten. Yeah, well, I guess to continue that, uh, yeah. Lulu has an entire dress made out of belts, which yeah. that's neat. Like, like um, I said, Squall would like he was he was like a portent of things to come. Aspects of that character show up in every single game since then. Uh, yeah. yeah, man, I don't even know where to start with Ten. Uh, just because, like, it's so funny. I have so much to say about it. I don't. I don't know where to point first. Well, let's let's talk about let's talk about the fact that Ten is the first one that is. Uh, and it's not fully voice acted, but at the time we would have considered it to be a fully voice acted sure. game sure, because there course. is not. It's not just an opening cinematic. Because um, like Final Fantasy VII opens with uh, this amazing sequence with the train. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like goes right into the game, which like like I don't I'm not a I'm I have no nostalgia for seven, but I absolutely recognize why people love it as much as they do. Um, mm-hmm. And that those uh, the opening moments of Final Fantasy seven are are it's one of the best beginnings of a video game ever. Um, but it those FMVs were like few and far between. Right. Mm-hmm. Sure. And then FF eight had a few more because like final fantasy seven, I think has like maybe two on each disc sort of thing. Um, but final fantasy eight was like, Oh no, no, no. You guys thought that was cool. Check it out. Yeah. There's Basically the beginning of every major sequence has uh, the beginning and end has like a, a, a rad cinematic sequence to it. And then, and then nine would continue that. But then with 10, because it was on the PlayStation two and because instead of using CDs, now we're using DVD discs, um, which was the the major innovation of the PlayStation Two, right? All it's only one disc. That's all we need, mm-hmm. and I uh, we can have voice acting throughout. So FF Ten and- like makes that leap, and then also just like the graphic, the graphical leap in Ten. I mean, like it's I still I look at Ten now. Not even like the remaster or anything, just like the original Final Fantasy X on the PlayStation 2. I look at it now, I'm like, this is an achievement. This game looks beautiful. Even by yeah. today's standards, it's still you still look at it and you're still like, this looks really good. Especially the 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 FMV stuff. It's still really, really good. Really well yeah. really, really well designed and directed. And like there's still a lot of fixed cameras for a lot of things. Like there really is yeah. no changing the camera in anything, <laughs> but like the environments are 3D, wherein, you know, seven through, I mean, really everything up into yeah. up to nine, uh, they were just, you know, pre-rendered, flattened uh, pixel images. Like, they yeah, were just flat images JPEG, that the characters right? were yeah. running on top of, yeah. Yeah, um, it's a <laughs> Either in front of or on top of, depending on where the camera was. So this was the first time that we had a fully, like, 
realized 3D world. And I mean, it kind of sucks because there was no, um, there really was no overworld, which is really like the only thing I miss from the older games. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's like, much more straight path, right? Yeah. And then like once you, you know, when when the game does open up and you can kind of go wherever you want, you just, you, you go, it's a menu in an airship. It's like, oh, yeah. all right. Which I don't know, man. Part of the fun is going to that overworld with the oversized cloud and yeah. uh, the very, very tiny monuments and jumping in your ship and flying at top speed. I don't know. I, I, yeah. That stuff's really charming to me. Oh, yeah. Um, the, like one of the best parts of every Final Fantasy game is when you like finally get an airship and you're like, I can go yeah. anywhere. <laughs> Like, I like can I, said, I can go to all those I places am. on the map that I didn't have access to before because it was a little island yeah. tucked away in this part of the continent that I couldn't get to yet. But now I can fly. Oh, man. Yeah, we should we it's, should throw an honorable mention honorable mention in here for Chrono Trigger, which is not technically a Final Fantasy. Oh, game, man. But really is in everything but name. Uh, yeah, <sighs> I mean, like, yeah, Final Fantasy six and Chrono Trigger. I like I, everybody else just stopped. There's no point in making any yeah. other <laughs> role playing games because the, like that's the two. Those are the two and that's it. Like everything else is just going to always and forever be judged by that metric is like 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 Final Fantasy 6. I, I would and, and give Chrono Trigger. I would give anything for a Chrono Trigger remade in the style of Octopath Traveler. Mm. where yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's 3d background all the sprites are still sprite like i don't need the the final fantasy 7 remake treatment i don't yeah. want the final fantasy no. remake treatment for that game but like i want that modernized in that octopath style yeah and just like you know one or two quality of life changes it'd be yeah. it'd be the perfect 10 out of 10 game the 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 problem is that every time they do something like that they go back and they change something. Yeah. They change an aspect of the story, it, like just to change it. And it's just always like, why are you guys messing with it? And Chrono yeah. Trigger is so perfect that like, mm. don't, don't <laughs> like, just leave it alone. Um, yeah. But, but yes, like it, to, to give it that, like that HD widescreen, um, like, like, yeah, semi 3d, like, like 3d world with 2d sprites on it. And to even just like update the sprites a little bit, like to just like, I wouldn't want to change the sprites. What I would want to do is I would just want to tween them a little bit more, right? Like mm-hmm. just, just add a little bit more fidelity to the animation, but like keep the same, like the core of the sprites. Like, but let's just, now that we have all of this extra space, um, to, to, to just like make them that much that much more amazing because chrono trigger is such a beautiful game uh, uh, uh designed by um oh my god why can't i think of his name uh dragon ball Akira Toriyama. Akira Toriyama. thank you it's because we've, like, we've got like we've got like like at this point that's like the fifth or sixth Japanese i know we've gone through everybody <laughs> um yeah but uh yeah yeah like and 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 for my money Chrono Trigger is the best Toriyama ever did. Like, like Dragon Ball Z is great, but it gets like, especially later on, like, and then you get into like GT and it's as like all modern stuff, whatever. It's just like, it just becomes like a photocopy of a photocopy at this point. And it's mm-hmm. like, no, it's not, it's so like sanitized. 
Um, and like, I love Dragon Ball, but Dragon Ball is, is much more cartoony, but Chrono Trigger was like right at this perfect part, per- perfect point in his career and his style um, that like you see, like Dragon Quest is still that he, Tor- Toriyama has like nothing to do with the design of that stuff at this point, I don't mm. think, but, but they still like, they're still trying to like capture that exact moment in time um uh and and you can kind of tell the like because he designed dragon the the first few dragon quest games as well but uh but yeah chrono trigger is just like it's perfect it's so perfect final fantasy 10 continue (laughs) who's your favorite character from ff10 who's your favorite character oh man that's that's a hard one uh you know i mean that's another thing i think i think 10 was the first final fantasy game where I didn't hate anyone in the party. Like I love every single one of those characters and I love their weird dynamics with each other. Um, I was listening to a podcast recently about final fantasy 10 actually. And it really even made me appreciate Lulu more. Cause I think Lulu is like such a, like a, I would argue she's probably the flattest character in the, in the party, but they they were kind of like talking about early on in the game where uh, I don't know how well you remember the story, but um, Waka's brother, Chapu, actually became a crusader, I think, like five years before the events of, of mm. FFX. And um, he was actually also Lulu's fiance. So mm. those two were going to get married. And, you know, uh, there was Waka's brother. So Chapu goes off. He dies fighting sin. And the reason Waka is so, like, obsessed with... Um, with Titus is that he reminds him of Chapu and we don't really know how much it is. We don't know if it's his personality. We don't know if it like, he looks like him, but basically he sees Chapu in Titus and immediately takes him under his wing. And on the, on the, on the flip side, Lulu was like very, very cold to, to Titus. And I never really understood why until someone pointed out, well, all right, well think of it this way, you know, five years ago, your fiance, um, dies fighting you know fighting sin so already you're you're grieving someone who you loved very very deeply then all of a sudden here comes this kid who reminds you of him is basically kind of like a freeze frame of who that person was five years earlier because he is five years younger than you now and you moved on with your life and you like got you know tried to get over it and here's this guy who like is your fiance almost and he's saying all this dumb stuff because you know we know that he's from like a different time but they just think he's like either insensitive or stupid or like sins toxins or whatever and like all of a sudden like her point of view started to make more sense that like you know, I thought I was over this and now you're here and you're making my life harder and you're getting in the way of my mission now. Because as far as Lulu was concerned, you know, Titus was, you know, just in the way. He was a distraction for Yuna. Like Yuna has a purpose. Yuna has a, a pilgrimage. She has, you know, a, a, this sacred goal that they have to achieve. And here comes this person who reminds you of your dead fiance who's getting in the way of that. So that all of a sudden was like, whoa, I mean, I don't know if we're reading into this, but it like even that is enough of a like a layer that we're adding to Lulu that I'm like, OK, she's not like that one dimensionally anymore. Yeah. Um, and th- there comes a point in the story where um, 
when Yuna asks Titus to be her guardian, and he's not just like some guy who's just like that Waka's bringing along and tagging along and asking dumb questions, Lulu kind of like softens her approach with him. And even that's enough for me to be like, oh, cool. That's that's like, yeah, there there's something going on here. I do wish there was um like a little bit of an in-between, though. Like, I wish we could have seen like a conversation that she had yeah. about it. But uh, I don't know. I, I, think, I, I think there's enough yeah. there. That's I think the Final Fantasy games often suffer from uh, like storytelling that gets lost in translation. And that oh, like, localization, absolutely, yeah, yeah like absolutely. It, it's uh, and I think that's one of the things with Kingdom Hearts as well, where it's like, I think that I think with Kingdom Hearts even more so, there's like there's cultural stuff that gets left behind that we don't really understand as North Americans, um, uh, even even as North Americans who are very much like into Japanese culture, it's like. I this is I I always I always I I get a kick out of uh, kids at anime conventions who are like who will say things like you know in Japan everybody watches anime <laughs> like it's like <laughs> like this is just like normal television there and it's like no it's not it's definitely still for children it's definitely still for loser nerds like us like <laughs> like like relax about it it's not cool to like anime in Japan any more than it's cool to like anime. Um, right. it's, it is exactly the same but that like because because we only intersect with that culture in the in the the material that gets brought over here i uh, there's a lot of especially spiritual context because spirituality especially like shinto spirituality is so different from western spirituality mm-hmm. and the ideologies are 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 um they just come from very different places. And so like, even as somebody who understands that, that's as far as I understand it. And I don't really understand Shintoism or like, like really like spiritual connection to the past in, in Japanese culture Um, enough to like, unless somebody like points it out to me and I go, Oh, okay. That's where that's coming from. Right. Mm. Um, But then like you look at a lot of the final fantasy stories and especially like a lot of the stuff that Nomura has done. And it's like, so much of it is like past life encroaching on present or like the future interacting with the past or worlds that are separated but connected by a common element right like there's there are these things that are like these common threads throughout each of these games Mm -hmm. um that like they they even going back to final fantasy 6 where i think is really where a lot of this stuff originates because in in 6 it's all about the connection between the the like sort of material world and the world that the espers come from, right? Like their plane of existence and, and that like magic only exists in the material world because of the espers coming through into that world. Right. And, 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 and then like the industrialization of like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to capitalize on that and turn it into machinery. And, 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 you know, we, we're going to use this magic to power our, our global domination sort of thing. But there's so much about like Tara as a character who is like this 
she starts off as this person who like we don't know her backstory we don't know who she is she doesn't know who she is she's lost her memory and all that stuff and you're like like what's the deal with her and she's very much of the material world because of that we assume she's part of the material world and then partway through the game we realize that she's an esper and that like she becomes this bridge between these two worlds right and so it's like like that's that's sort of like that the beginning of that and then then uh i don't i don't know seven well enough to really know where that stuff is but like with eight the guardian forces and their connection to human beings and wherever they're coming from which is like the closest i think to espers that any of the other stories have done is the is the gfs um and the Mm. characters right it's very similar um but then the 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 sorcerers sorceresses right like like that aspect of it like them being able to tap into this other plane and the time travel aspect of it of like like i said like past this past life as well as the future all like blending together into squall's present and hit and him trying to live his life and like figure out his own destiny in the midst of being caught in a past that he can't change and a future that he can't avoid. Right. Like, like there, it's like you start saying some of this stuff and it's like, Oh, that's Sora's story as well. <laughs> like Sora is totally stuck in this weird limbo between like the, the Keyblade masters of old and the, like whatever's going to happen in the future of this franchise and he's like stuck in the middle because he's not that person yet. That's going to be the Messiah that everybody, because people go, Oh, it's not Sora. It's going to be somebody else. It is. It's Sora. It's always, it's, there's no way that it's not Sora by the end of the story. But anyways, like, like basically that, like he has to like grow into this like superhero. That's going to save all of the worlds and, and, you know, uh, restore, everything back to the way that it's supposed to be after everybody else screwed with it. Um, (laughs) It's like, there's, there's so many of these through lines in all of these games. Uh, I know nothing about nine. So I don't know if that holds true with nine. You tell me, but okay. Cause I've, I think I've played like all of like maybe an hour of nine and it's like, cool. Um, I mean, the the past is there, there isn't so much interaction with Mm -hmm. the present and the past. But there are um, a lot of flashbacks, a lot of, uh, you know, things from the past kind of coming to light yeah. and affecting the story moving forward. Um, I guess really I guess Seven explain. has that as well, right? Because Cloud. Yeah, sure. Not actually being who he says he is. Like, you, you know, when you when you get the revelation of like, oh, all of this other stuff. Yeah. Um, I think what's also uh, very prevalent in these games. And I guess in, I mean, this is probably such a general statement on Japanese media, you know, anime and film and all that stuff is that it's so common for them to have world ending cataclysmic events. Mm -hmm. And I think a big part of that is because they've been through so many of them as a, as a nation, right? Like for sure. They the world ended twice for them in during World War Two, um, and you know tsunamis like tsunamis in this game like yeah. sin is constantly causing like like people are just drowning like it's crazy how many 
real world events just like directly affect their media which i mean i guess it affects ours too like i we all just kind of you know artists tend to just go by what inspires them and their experiences yeah um but like I had that pointed out to me like 20 years ago that like, yeah, watch, watch anime with the lens of like these people literally saw the world end on their soil twice. Yeah. And like now watch anime and and see <laughs> how much of it is influenced by that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now all of a sudden Neon Genesis Evangelion actually starts to make sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, because, I mean, let's not go that far. Yeah, but. <laughs> well, because it's not actually about what it's about it's it is right. actually about yeah the events of world war ii and then post-war mm. industrialization and mm. and japan mm. becoming a global powerhouse in technology yeah. which is what so much of anime is about i mean like ghost in the shell yeah, is about absolutely. that like i yeah gundam uh pat labor like I'm, so many that's why you, you that's even why mentioned fantasy final fantasy six yeah yeah final fantasy six is directly like it's 100%. the exact same story in that regard yeah um, yeah, yeah, like cataclysm is a very common term in in a Final Fantasy game or in mm-hmm. anime in general, right? Yeah, like world ending events and and that sort of thing. It's funny because yeah, I th- I think that I think that what you can look at in North American culture as sort of a, an analog in recent times is that superhero movies are a direct result of nine eleven. Oh there's, yeah, absolutely. There is no way that the prevalence of superhero stuff in particular stories like the Avengers are not directly the result of, of a cultural need for saviors, right? Like, like Mm. think about what we see in like the imagery that we see in Avengers and in man of steel. And then the idea of like these people that are able to turn that back. Right. Yeah. Because nine 11 happens and it's like, everybody's just helpless once it's Mm. happened it's happened right and we all and we're all just bystanders watching it unfold but iron man and captain america and superman and batman and the flash and like these characters they can they can give us this opportunity to look at that and go like yeah but what if what if a person could do something about it right Mm. what if you know and 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 then it gets it gets it extrapolated into aliens come out of the sky right so it's like well so if aliens come out of the sky which is this it's it's this allegorical version of like complete helplessness yeah. uh, which which i think like the opening of hawkeye like the first episode of hawkeye and the introduction of the kate bishop character they illustrated that so amazingly and then that character's journey is that literal journey Right. It is like she is literally a kid who saw 9-11 and grew up to be a firefighter. Right. Mm. Like that's what that story is. That's the allegory that that story is. It just happens that we're in a fantasy world where it was aliens coming out of the sky. So she grows up to be able to shoot an arrow real good. Right. Mm. Like and wear purple. Uh, those are the defining characteristics <laughs> of a Hawkeye. Sure. Um, maybe put an H on your forehead. I, I, but yeah, I. Uh, it's when you like it's really interesting when we get some distance from things and then we can look at them in this retrospective lens and go like oh wait a second that's what we're getting at um and it's like it's uh because it always ends up coming back to star wars this is what i think is really interesting about modern star wars is that it 
has nothing to say about anything of any relevance except for the last Jedi. Like from my perspective, that's the only one of the modern star Wars movies that like, that looks at the world and, and like has something to say about the world as it is and how it, how it could slash should be. Um, Mm. Whereas the original trilogy is very much a post Vietnam, like, Hey, I, I, the Imperial war machine, i.e. America it is evil and i it'll always be defeated by a scrappy band of rebels right <laughs> like like that's because because who was actually on the right side there and then people are like oh don't get political with star wars and it's like hey guys i hate to tell you the ewoks uh they're not just teddy bears um <laughs> it's it's like it's like the first two movies happened and it's like nobody was getting the message and george was like no okay i got to I gotta go. I gotta go back to All my right. original concept, which is that these these <laughs> uh, uh, indigenous people basically are like, "Hey, uh, get off our land. We're gonna use the terrain to our advantage, even though you have incredible war machines." Uh, I want. I wonder, man. I wonder where he got the inspiration for that. Um, and then the prequels happen, and what what's happening in the midst of the prequels, right? unprecedented because because he's making the first ones in the 70s and 80s he's in the midst of it and then the reagan era happens and he comes back and and he's like hey you guys haven't learned any lessons from what i've been talking about let me put a real fine point on it if you give these politicians and corporations unlimited power they will use it to destroy you that's what they're gonna do also, here's a story about how Anakin becomes Darth Vader. But that's not what this is about, you guys. <laughs> this is about literally giving corporations the ability to determine whether someone lives or dies. And whether or not that's something that's good or bad. That's what this is about. Also, don't put all of your eggs in the basket of one supreme leader. Uh, and, uh, you know, give him emergency powers, which also happened to be you know, a thing that was happening in the midst of him making those movies. It's like, I, it's really funny. I think that George was like making the Phantom Menace and was probably like, I'm going to tell this story about politicians and, you know, corruption and all this stuff. And then, you know, like Bush is, is president and nine 11 happens. And like in the midst of him making the, the prequel trilogy and he's like, huh, huh, Huh. And then gets a revenge of the Sith and is like, <laughs> I need to address right. this directly. <laughs> and it because like, cause he's talked about it like in interviews and stuff of like revenge of the Sith is very pointed of like, you guys, you guys, this is not a made up story. It's literally happening right now. And, uh, you know, we're still dealing with the consequences of that. And, you know, it's not necessarily gotten better. Um, since then because people haven't paid attention once again to the allegory of star wars it's a a good artist do that like they they use their art to try and you know move the needle culturally right Mm -hmm. um and uh and and it's funny like the the final fantasy games i think like to varying degrees obviously but they have they have affected culture in a very significant way um and uh, like there's a whole generation of of people like you and me that like we grew up on this stuff 
and whether we know it or not, you know, like it, it definitely has influenced us. Um, but yeah, like I said, the new star Wars stuff, like it just like, it doesn't have anything to say about anything. Like really think about mm-hmm. it. I, there was a little bit in, in the force awakens of like sort of that, the neo-Nazi, um, uh, allegory in there, but then they never, it doesn't, it doesn't really resonate that much because it feels kind of hollow. And then, and then the last Jedi is, is, is a feminist, uh, I sort of, um, I don't know. Manifesto is probably not the right word for it, but it is very much like Ryan Johnson's like, what if we made a feminist star Wars movie? Um, and, and most of the stories in that, like, like, like really pay attention. You've, you've got a bunch of male characters who are very pig headed and not learning from the past and a bunch of women telling them that they're idiots. Uh, <laughs> that's basically like, that's his, that, that's the last Jedi in a nutshell. It's like <laughs> men ruin everything. Women shake their heads. I, that's what to like describe a movie really badly. Um, I, which is probably one of the reasons why it got as much backlash as it did. Cause boys don't like being told that they're dumb-dumbs for, you know, breaking stuff. I, uh, but it's true. Um, and we need to be told, but, uh, then like rise of Skywalker is just, it's not about anything. It's, it's, it's just the end of the Skywalker saga. That's what it's about. And it's like, well, that's not what any of this was about to begin with. So it's a really weird thing to say that this one's about, even though it's a complete and utter fabrication and a lie, uh, cause it literally ends with her being like, I'm a Skywalker, but whatever. Um, <laughs> like rogue one i think if i think if disney and and like lucasfilm hadn't sort of gotten a little bit gun shy on that one and let gareth edwards actually make the movie that he wanted to make that one might that one might have had a little bit more of a core to it but but the third act of that movie just totally turns on its head and all of a sudden Jin Erso is like no i'm princess leia let me make a rousing speech and it's like <laughs> this is very weird this is not the character you were for the other two-thirds of this movie and that's kind of what was making it work was the fact that it was like all hope is lost and then at the end of the movie the thing goes to leia and then leia's like this is hope and you're like okay so like and then the next movie is a new hope you can't you can't just yeah anyways and solo is just an adventure solo is just about having fun there's nothing wrong with that but it's like I don't know. It's just a coming of age adventure story. It's not really. And I think that's maybe one of the reasons why it doesn't necessarily resonate for everybody. Right. Is that like, it's it, it, I love it. It is my favorite star Wars movie, but it's also, I junk food in a lot of respects. Like there's a lot going on Hmm. in solo and there's a lot of really great character arc stuff. And it informs a bunch for Han Solo. And I think it's bookended really nicely with the force awakens and like telling his story over the course of that is really great. But at the same time, it's like, it's just pop, like not pop. It's just like pulp, uh, sci-fi adventure. Right. Um, but yeah, most, most of star Wars now has nothing to say. And it's, and it's like, it's so weird because all here we are talking about, Final Fantasy and how much it's influenced by the those original Star Wars movies and those stories. 
and I think one of the main things is that like every Final Fantasy game kind of like it's like they have things to say right like like every single one of them is is like really about something um and there's a lot of like in like post-industrial like hey we're destroying the world stuff in in almost all of them um Mm. which is actually quite ahead of its time right maybe i guess maybe not because we were kind of in the 90s right like we were you know fern gully and captain planet and you know stuff like that but but yeah like there's a lot of like the japanese sort of perspective on that um in the final fantasy games it was like starting with six of like this this uh you know this machine that we've built is actually the thing that will destroy us sort of thing um but yeah i don't know video games are cool final fantasy is rad yeah so let me let me ask you something yeah go ahead what are your feelings on triple triad uh like the that's the game that's in ff8 right the the card game right isn't it yeah oh wait is the card game in nine there's i know there's no no the card game game, the card game's in in eight um okay yeah i i mean like it's a card game it gets a like it's a it's a it's a deck building card game um Mm. i don't know i i don't mind it but i never get into that stuff yeah the side game stuff like the mini game stuff Mm. it's just never really yeah i don't know like like don't get me wrong there's a lot about final fantasy 8 that is like like systems and stuff like that like like i ff6 did it the best with the espers and mm-hmm. learning magic by, you know, linking the Esper and all of that sort of stuff. And then uh, Final Fantasy VIII did the same thing, but then also had the draw system. And the draw system sucks, right? Running out of uses of Faraga is not fun, mm-hmm. right? And having no way, like, in this battle yeah. to get more, right? It's one thing if you run out of MP and it's like, okay, well, that's why I have, uh, you know, st- stuff that's that's going to restore my MP, whichever game you're playing, right? Different stuff, elixirs and whatever, ethers. But, um, like, and that's, that's good. That works, right? But, yeah, the draw system kind of sucks. Uh, but, but, and the GF system is uh, needlessly complex. It's just like there, there's just like one or two layer extra layers to it that don't need to be there that like they took mm. the Esper system and they went, OK, let's make it m- like more right um, to the point where you're like, yeah, but like do any of these things really do they really affect anything? And then like boost is just. Why? <laughs> why would why would you make me have to just mash the square button it's because they're like, because we want to put these big, basically FMVs in the middle of every battle, right? <laughs> like that's, that's, and it's like, it's really cool the first time you see Shiva. And then, you know, like by the fifth time you see Shiva, you're kind of like, okay. And by the hundredth time you see, you're watching the Shiva animation, you're like, yep, yep, yep. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Right. Um, 
but you got to keep mashing that square button. Otherwise you're not doing as much damage as you could be doing. <laughs> Theoretically. I don't know. Cause they're just numbers. And so does it really matter? <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, there's a lot about an FF eight that, that, that I could do without and it, and a remastered version of FF eight would be really nice. Right. Cause Materia in FF seven, I feel like is, is a, is a better evolution of the Esper system. It's still like the Esper system is the best one. It's like, okay, cool. I've got these cool summons and you know, like the fire summon teaches me how to use fire magic. Like, it, like it's like, that's as, that's as complex as it is. Right. If I want to mm. teach certain magic to certain characters, then use certain espers with that character. Right. Like link that Esper with that character. I can't remember what the terminology is in it, but like, it's that simple. And then it, with every other one, they're kind of like, they, they kind of get further and further of like, Oh, but, but if you use this materia and this materia together, then this combo, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, can you guys just knock it off? You know, <laughs> you get to final fantasy 12 and they're like, I, you level up your character with skill points in these like circular, uh, diagram things of like branching trees. And it's just like, Oh my God, I don't want to spend this much time in menus. Um, and that I think is where I think that's where, where, where most RPGs live and die for me is how much time I'm going to spend in the menus dealing with mm. upkeep. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why I like the kingdom hearts games despite the story making not a lick of sense. I love Disney. I love the design of Final Fantasy stuff. I love fast-paced action games. And uh and and you know like there's a there's just a little tiny bit of turn-based strategy in here for me if I want to explore that, right? If I want to use the menu system, I can. And I, and like the game's going to be a little bit cooler and a little bit easier if I do. But I can also like <laughs> Kingdom Hearts 2. If I just want to hit the X button for f- 10 hours, I can do that. And it's mm-hmm. really cool. And like mm-hmm. the the different forms, uh the different keyblade forms are going to keep me entertained cuz it's like, "Oh cool, now I'm transforming into a version of Sora that can fly and he's got the, the keyblades are just like spinning around him and stuff." And it's like, "That's <laughs> rad." Um but yeah, then in three, they're like, we're going to make this a little bit more complicated. And it's like, why? Why? But a lot of people did complain at the time about two. So it's like, that's why. But hmm. I don't know. I don't know. The dueling, Keyblade dueling in, in all three of those games is so, um, it can be it can become so frustrating the number of times that you'll just, like, until you realize how to fight a, a specific enemy right i'm thinking about like boss battles and stuff it's like that the fight mm. with riku at the end of kingdom hearts is just like it's like i haven't had to do any of this throughout this game unless i was in the coliseum fighting uh cloud and sephiroth right like <laughs> like uh, unless i did that stuff i have no prior experience to build up to having to fight riku with like all of these parries and blocks and stuff like that the rest of this game i have just been jumping around attacking enemies and shooting them with ice and fire and stuff right now all Mm. of a sudden i have to like perfectly time stuff and counters and blocks and it's like it's so frustrating if you don't know what you're doing 
which the first time I played that game, I had no idea. And then, and then in the second game, because of organization 13, it's like, okay, we're going to have a bunch of those types of fights. And then in the third game towards the end, it's like, yeah, it just becomes like, Hey, we're it's just a bunch of keyblade masters all dueling. And it's like, I don't, but I don't want to do this. <laughs> I just want to do cool stuff. Just let me do cool yeah. stuff. Make the character do cool animations and make me think I'm in control of it. You know? Yeah. Make me, fe- make me feel like the cool character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Also, like I, th- I always think that I want to play a turn-based game, and then I start playing a turn-based turn-based game, and I'm like, this would be better if it was third-person action. <laughs> no, I, I see. That's where I disagree with you. I honestly am still really, really, really into them. Like, yeah. um, I, I don't know if you've ever played uh, any of the Bravely Default games on 3DS. No. Oh man, they are really, really good. Um, and I encourage you to, so I think the second one is better than the first one. Well, okay. So there's bravely default and then there's bravely second. And then on switch, there's bravely default too. So they're kind of like final fantasies where the numbered ones are just different entries. So bravely default and bravely second are directly like it's a sequel to the, to the first one. Bravely default two is its own completely separate standalone game that has nothing to do with Bravely Default or Bravely Default, uh, Bravely Second. Um, those games are really awesome. I think Bravely Second is the best one. Um, mm. They're all turn-based stuff. They're just like perfect bread and... Bo- not perfect, but like pure um, JRPG, like goodness. You know, all, all the tropes are there, but like I actually really like the characters a lot more. Um, like I can't get enough of that game. I can't get enough of Octopath Traveler. Mm. Um, what else? I'm playing through uh, Dragon Quest Eleven right now. I'm loving that game. At first, I was, like, really not into it for the same. I was like, ah, I don't know, this is kind of stale. But then, like, they... Okay, so this is really, like, left field. I, I hope this isn't too, um, I, don't, I don't know, political or, or whatever. But um, I don't... I, I, I feel like you can probably agree at, uh, to some point with me on this that anytime there's a... Um, flamboyant or gay character in a Japanese video game, mm. I have felt like up to this point that that character exists to be a punchline. Yeah. And they're just kind of there to, you know, make their joke and be flamboyant. Ah, okay. That's a sissy character. Okay. And then that's it. Then we move on and, and we forget about them. There's a character in Dragon Quest Eleven who is very flamboyant and has kind of like, you know, a, an ambiguous sexuality. Cause he's very flirty kind of with men and women. And when that character first appeared, I was like, Oh man, this is going to be it. This is going to be the character that, cause I was already like not really having too much fun. I was like, this is going to be the character that, you know, annoys me to the point that I'm going to stop playing this game. Yeah. Uh, and then they became a party member. And I was like, oh, all right. So I'm going to have to deal with this for the entire game. But like, he's the smartest character. Mm. And he's really nice and really compassionate and has a really, really interesting backstory. And like, slowly as I'm playing, they're just pulling back layers on this character. And I'm like, this is the most interesting JRPG character I have seen in probably ever. 
His name is Silvando. So, like, I'm at a point where this character saved this game for me because I was going to stop playing, and because I didn't, more also interesting characters came into the party now, and, like, I I really want to see what happens with them, and I really want to see, like, what's going to happen next with them. And I really didn't see it coming with this game. Like, it really, really took me by surprise. Other than that... The combat, I mean, it's, you know, it's turn-based combat, so, like, it is what it is. But I love turn-based combat. Like, I like mindlessly grinding for levels. Yeah. That stuff is, like, therapeutic I, for me. See, I, so, so l- let me ask this. So, so we've talked a lot about Final Fantasy, and we've talked about a few mm-hmm. other sort of offshoots. And sort of, I, I, I mean, we've mostly talked about Square stuff at this point. Um, mm-hmm. What is your favorite RPG I'd let, I guess let's let's sort of keep it in the JRPG thing because we don't want to get into like the Mass Effects or Dragon right. Age sort of right. arguments, but but because Western RPGs are a completely different thing. But what what is your favorite JRPG? And and we are, or I guess it doesn't matter. Uh, I think it's Pokemon Blue. Yeah, for real. It's you go back I, to, I, to being Pokemon. I I think it is. I think it's Pokemon Blue. That's interesting because that, I wasn't even thinking about Pokemon in this conversation, but but you're right. It's, um, it's either that or it's Chrono Trigger. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> See, for me, it one of my absolute favorites of all time is Tales of Symphonia uh, on the GameCube. Okay, sure. Which is, I think says a lot about the type of gamer that I am, and that like there is a turn-based component to the tales games but even going back to the original one tales of fantasia i it, they they're they are very much more like like action rpg mm-hmm. right um and yeah like tales of symphonia man i abs i adore that game so much um <laughs> it's just like it's uh and i started playing um oh man tales what was the one that i Viseria, uh Arcadia. No. Arcadia? No. No, that's no. Skies of Arcadia. Uh is it a new one? It's one it's one of the newer ones, but it's not that new. And uh, like um Oh man. Uh, <clears throat> if I have my switch here, I to, to, no. No, it's oh, not. Oh, that's that like new. the newest one, I no, think, right? Yeah. Oh man. What Tales of series. <laughs> I need to Google. Not this Mana, thing. is it? No. Is is uh, Tales of Mana like related or is that or is like the no, Mana you're thinking series? of Secret of Mana. Is... Okay, Secret of Mana. Okay. Yeah. Um, um 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 it's not Zysteria Destiny Vesperia. Tales of Vesperia, okay. which is which is a one of the newer ones, but it it's originally from 2008. Um but there's like a remastered deluxe edition or whatever that's on the switch that i was playing and i i want to go back to it because i didn't finish it i never finished jrpgs these days just don't have time <laughs> but um like that's a it's very much like a, 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 a you know late teens early 20s sort of endeavor for me um but uh it 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 plays a lot like like symphonia and then also like the story is very it's got some very similar vibes of like you've kind of got your dashing uh semi-reluctant but also like totally into it hero 
Um, and then I, 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 a girl with a secret that you need to protect, but that can kind of handle herself. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, but also needs you because there's a romantic element there. Like, it, like there's, there's like shipping stuff going on or whatever. And then there's all of like this, this variety of characters that come in and out of the story. Um, I, I really, really love Symphonia for that. But like, I, I, Vesperia is really good too. Um, but yeah, there's so, so, so one, is, is Symphonia is your number one then. I think Symphonia is probably it's it it probably is because like as much as I love because I think you're right Pokemon Blue is a very good call Pokemon it's red for me right but mm. but um but as much as like I've it's probably the one that I've spent the absolute most time with because I've played like three versions of it mm. um at the same time like there's a there's a scene in tales of symphonia you're in this this uh, sort of winter setting town and it's sort of like it's sort of like the the culmination of your romantic story with the like between the two lead characters right before like everything kind of hits the fan and and mm-hmm. you're separated and like now you've got to like go you know save the world rescue uh this character like the the girl or whatever um and it's just like there's just like snow falling and it doesn't matter that it's like a GameCube game and the graphics aren't amazing in my mind. Like it's so much more in my mind than it is in reality. And I think that like good JRPGs achieve that, that like, it really doesn't matter what the graphics look like. And that's where like, for me, it's like FF seven never hit for me. Like I just never Mm. connected to it, but I know that like for some people, even though like, like those dopey sprites, those dopey, like sort of like like polygonal uh, uh, atrocities that are the characters of Final Fantasy VII on the PlayStation One. I uh, that's not what people remember. They remember Final Fantasy VII, which is a yeah. different thing from what it's presented at. Which which is to go all the way back, kind of the beginning of the conversation. That space that exists between the concept art of FF six the sprite art of FF six and like modern 3d renders or, or like more realistic interpretations of FF six. And it's like, none of those are FF six and all three of those are FF six at the same time, because like that is another one where like the opera scene is a really great example. Or like I said, like suplexing a train where it's like, like that that whole sequence with those characters in the haunted forest and the ghost train and all that stuff it's like that is it's so vivid to me even though it's 16 bits and it's like it's absolutely cartoony right and and it's this it's the same with symphony but symphony it's like there's like a I don't know. It's like a there's it's just like an emotional resonance that I have with that that story that I really really like. Um, there's just, there's a lot about that game that I just really really like, and the voice acting is really mm. good. And it's like it's a bunch of voice actors that everybody would know from like Dragon Ball and and uh, and all sorts of other anime. It's just like like if if Tales of Symphonia were a were an anime, it would be one of my favorite anime it's 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 very much along the lines of my favorite anime of all time which is uh escaflone 
it's it's got okay, it's, yeah, sure. it's got some very similar stuff to that. Escaflone is much more like mature and sort of uh, edge lordy, but I, I <laughs> it's it's in that it's in that vein of anime. But um, and I just, I also I love the art style of Symphonia, like just the look of it. It does one of my favorite things, which is that there are alternate costumes for the characters um, that you unlock by doing different things. Um. Yeah, I own I own like three different versions of Tales of Symphonia um, because oh, I love wow. it so much. So yeah. I didn't know there were that many. I know yeah. it's on Steam, but and I guess GameCube, right? But uh, yeah, and there's a there's a PlayStation Three re release of it. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, with like a bunch of extra stuff. Um, nice. Yeah. I yeah, man. It's uh, I I. I it's really hard for me to express. Skies of Arcadia is another one, though. Skies of Arcadia is really high up there. The problem with Skies of Arcadia is that I'm an idiot for not holding on to my copy of it on the Dreamcast. Um, but I, yeah, like Skies of Arcadia was a, like a once in a lifetime. Have you ever played it? No, no. It's it, it. Nobody has because it was like it was on the Dreamcast <laughs> with nobody had a Dreamcast. I was I was one of the fortunate and intelligent individuals who did have a Dreamcast. Um, they did do a, a remaster of it on the GameCube, a re-release. It wasn't really a remaster because it's basically the same graphics, but um, but the print number of it is so low that like I don't know. Let's look it up. Let's look it up. One of these days, I will absolutely uh, break down. And and find a copy of it somewhere and, and pay the ridiculous prices. Uh, Skies of Arcadia. Let's just let's just look at all of it. Um, so yeah, it's about a it's it's about two hundred dollars on the GameCube. Uh, let's see if I can find a Dreamcast cool. copy. Here's a here's a sealed and rated nine point six A plus uh, edition of it on the Dreamcast. Three hundred thirty six dollars ninety three cents with 28 bids on it five days and 15 hours left on uh on ebay so that's gonna go that's definitely gonna go for over 400 dollars. yes that's um, gonna go much higher to a collector right but uh yeah um yeah i mean like yeah a, a complete good edition like good copy of it on the gamecube is also looking like it's 300 bucks uh <laughs> let's see new factory sealed skies of arcadia buy it now for 413 dollars oh man yeah 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 starting bids are around 150 bucks on this game so one of these days i will come across a copy at like a con or something like that for a reasonable price and i will be like well there's my whole con budget <laughs> because i do still have a dreamcast i do still have a gamecube so either of those actually i it's been a very long time since i plugged my dreamcast in and it's in a rubbermaid container in a garage so i wonder if this works but uh yeah <laughs> i really the funny thing is that i'll drop like 250 or 300 dollars on a copy of this game one day and the next week they'll announce a uh, oh yeah like a, a the remaster on switch release, or something yeah. like that right yeah. i uh, every once in a while i i go on twitter and say sega what are you doing what are right, you i'm doing? gonna give you a list of games i'm gonna give you a list of games that i want to play 
and then you can go buy them so that they come out. Yeah. And then I can play them. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyways, we did it. It's an episode. We did it. It's a, we, did we, made it. A, we made a podcast. Uh, we did it. Just, should I insert the, the victory music here? I, I mean, and I have to. have to. So I did. I did. We didn't hear it, but you guys at home got to hear it. Um, Excellent. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. We did it. We're done. And now it's time <laughs> to go to sleep. Um, definitely for you, because it's much later for you. No, you're probably get, you're probably going to go eat food and then uh, that's draw exactly. for a while. Right. This is exactly my night. Cool. Well, I'm glad that Amanda didn't want to record a podcast this week because uh, it was her birthday. Aww. Happy birthday to Amanda. We're a, we're Aww, a couple days happy late, birthday. But, but happy birthday to Amanda. I uh, well, happy and, uh, uh, happy almost birthday to you, Joe. Uh, oh, I'm, thank you. I'm and glad happy... we got to talk about video games. Oh, me too. And happy Mostly. not as almost birthday to you. Yeah. But uh, well, the next time that we see each other. Uh, will, will I'm looking be, forward to that, man. Will be my birthday. Uh, so I will, Happy Joe. Birthday. I will see you on Batu uh, in about oh, a month. Man. <clears throat> There's something that I wasn't expecting to hear, but I'm glad I heard it. Yeah, um, it's very exciting to say it. I as for the rest of you, uh, Mooks, uh, I will see you guys <laughs> next week for uh, I, an episode of Off the Record. Uh, and then the week after that, Amanda will be back. Um, and uh, we are getting dangerously close to having to actually start recording uh, uh, Let's Reboot Student Bodies. Um, but you can go right now and you can find us on various social medias. Um, there's not, well, I'm not like posting on them or anything, but they're there and you can follow them so that when I do start posting, we will. The other thing that I want to note is that I, I the hellscape that is Twitter has been taken over by an evil man and uh, he's probably going to make it an even even worse place um with that in mind i uh we're we're gonna we're gonna push the discord even more than we have been recently so come join <laughs> us on discord uh you can find a link to it on our facebook page uh or on our twitter um i uh, you know, I should put it on the website and stuff as well. I, I, but I, yeah, um, those are going to be the easiest places to find it on, on our Twitter. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll make a post and I'll pin it. Um, and, uh, and I've already done that on the Facebook page. So I, yeah, uh, join us on discord. It is not a Patreon exclusive thing. It's for anybody. Um, I, I, the good thing about discord it's it's like those other social media things except for like it's actually really really easy to moderate um, and control who is and isn't allowed to hang out um so not to be exclusive but just to make sure that like hey i you know like chill people only you know what i mean like mm -hmm. like none of that nonsense that you got to deal with uh, uh on those other uh awful uh, social media sites of people telling you that you're dumb for liking a thing or whatever. Um, cool, cool vibes only in the Thunderquack discord. Um, and we've all been really active today because of the news of, uh, 
the the wannabe Tony Stark, but actually more of a Justin Hammer, but not even because <laughs> I mean, like at least Justin Hammer is played by Sam Rockwell. I, I yeah. Anyways, that's it. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Joe, for hanging out, yeah. talking about thank you Star Wars and Final Fantasy and everything. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll see you guys next week uh, uh, for like I said, off the record patreon exclusive if you want to get access to that it's five dollars a month over at patreon.com slash thunderquack uh otherwise i'll see you guys in two weeks with amanda to talk about i don't know I, whatever we end up talking about uh these are like the final episodes of thunderquack as a matter of fact i think the next one is our last regular episode and then the next episode after that will be from disneyland and star wars celebration so Wow. which is our which is our final episode of thunder quack podcast i wow. i so look forward to that thank you guys for listening thank you for supporting us uh and uh, we'll we'll catch you next week follow the thunder quack podcast on twitter instagram and facebook by searching the thunder quack podcast you can support us in three ways First, by heading to the podcast service of your choice and leaving a rating and review. Second, by going to store.thunderquack.com to pick up some merch from your favorite podcasts. And last but not least, by heading to patreon.com thunderquack to kick in with your monthly pledge of support and get cool rewards like early access and extended episodes. The Thunderquack Podcast is the official podcast of thunderquack.com. Head to thunderquack.com to discover more great podcasts.